Welcome to a new episode of the Sunday Sauce. I'm here with WABC's own Frank Morano. He's on overnights. His show is called The Other Side of Midnight from 1 a.m. to 5 a.m. Frank, welcome to the Sunday Sauce. It's great to be here, Mike. Uh, I am a big fan of, uh, of the podcast. It's gotten a lot of attention. I know you got a lot of great folks uh, talking about this and a lot of great folks uh, working with you. So uh, it's great to be on. Thanks for asking me. Appreciate that, man. Uh, you know, I uh, really appreciate you being here. You're like, uh, you're a pretty big, uh, pretty big catch. So, you know, it's, it's an honor for you to be here. I mean, you're out here smoking a stogie, drinking some coffee, badass, 70 degree gay in Staten Island I, I, over there. I gave up, uh, I gave up booze for Lent. So I'm making it up for, uh, with it for all of the other vices, coffee, cigars, you name it. I'm making up for everything else. Yeah. Do you, uh, you, you, you just smoke cigars. You're not a cigarette guy, right? Uh, no, I've never actually had a cigarette. Uh, I, I, um, uh, yeah, but I, I do, uh, I do like cigars more than I should. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I never actually smoked anything, so that's not my style. But, Good. Uh, that's why you're going to live a lot longer than I will. And I, I mean, I guess so all these old people, um, that's my cat. Don't him, don't mind him. Oh, all sure. My, oh, all my it looks old... like my step cat. Well, yeah. What's, what's <laughs> yeah. That's junior. Uh, junior. He, okay. he, he appears from time to time, but, um, yeah, all these old people actually, well, no offense, old people, you know, I don't know what old is anymore. Cause apparently you can live a very uh, long time. They smoke cigars, drink wine. They live to like a hundred. So who knows what the secret is, right? Yeah. Yeah. No. Uh, speaking as someone with more gray hair than I should have, uh, I will, well, look I, at me, I, yeah. look at me, bro. I'm 33 years old. I mean, come on, come on. Who are you talking we're, to? We're, we're kindred spirits. At least we still have it. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, so, I mean, you got a in pretty interesting career, right? So what, what did you always want to be on radio? Was that your dream or you just yes. wanted to be, uh, oh, you, yeah. oh, you always wanted to be radio? Yeah. Well, there are, you know, there are, have always been different things that I wanted to do at different points in my life. Uh, but the the thing that uh, has always been consistent is I've always just been obsessed with the medium of, of talk radio. In my view, there's no better way for conveying information and entertainment. And uh, I, I'm this is what I've wanted to do since I was eight years old. So I've uh, been hooked on talk radio my entire life and uh, really consider myself blessed to be able to make a living in it, a profession that is very difficult to make a living in and it's getting harder and harder by the day. So uh, uh, absolutely. This is always what I've dreamed of doing. What do you think the future is in terrestrial radio? You know, it's so funny. I asked um, the president of our radio station, WABC that the other day. Um, and um, I, I, because I'm so curious about that and I ask everybody about that. Um, well, I have, uh, I could give you my hopes and then I can give you my honest prediction. My hope is that more radio stations around the country will do what our station, WABC, is doing and invest in quality live and local uh, talk talent. And, you know, you can extrapolate this beyond just talk talent to, you know, DJs, sports, news, whatever the case may be. Because what we've seen up until two years ago when John Katzmatidis bought our station, what we've seen is radio stations uh, slashing and burning. They, they see what they can do to spend the least amount of money and get the most juice out of the lemon. Mm. And it, it has so degraded the quality of the product. So you listen to most radio stations, you hear 18 minutes of commercials. And then on the weekends, you don't hear any live and local programming. Uh, for music stations, you hear the same 40 songs over and over again, even if it's not a top 40 station. And if you're a, you, a listener, right? 
why would you ever listen to any of these stations, right? You, when you can listen to whatever you want on a podcast, you can listen to Sunday Sauce or watch whatever you want without commercials, get exactly the kind of content that you want. In fact, my program now is the only live and local um, radio show in the entire country, mainstream talk. I think there might be one or two sports stations that do live and local content. And that's because these stations have decided they can't really make money with live and local overnight programming. So I, uh, my hope is that seeing the success that WABC has had, and we're now, uh, if you combine our streaming ratings and our radio ratings, we're now number eight in the New York metro metropolitan area. We've had just this meteoric rise in a very short time. I'm hoping that more stations will invest. Additionally, if you look at the comeback that different nostalgia uh, trends have had, driven by young people, millennials and Generation Z. I'm thinking of uh, Vinyl Records, which mm -hmm. had its biggest year ever last year, at least the biggest year in 40 years, and it broke the record from the previous year. And if you look at um, now uh, film cameras, more and more millennials and Generation Zers are emphasizing um, you know, uh, film cameras, typewriters, all sorts of other areas where folks are um, going back in a nostalgia direction. My hope is that young people will embrace terrestrial radio the same way that they've embraced typewriters, Polaroid cameras, and, um, and uh, all sorts of things like that. But I think that only happens if the radio stations actually give them content that's worth listening to. I see big radio companies like iHeart, they don't even consider themselves uh, you know, radio companies. They consider themselves um, digital companies mm -hmm. that happen to be on radio. And look, digital is important, and I'm all for investing in digital and putting an effort in digital. But unless people are willing to put in the work uh, in building radio and investing in quality content on radio, then I think its future could be very bleak. Mm. Do you think like, so when Sirius XM, well, it was first, it was Sirius and XM, right? They both came at the same time and eventually merged. Howard Stern left terrestrial radio. You know, he was the big thing. They promised no commercials. Everyone was against commercials, commercial, commercials. Now all of a sudden Sirius XM has a shitload of commercials, right? Like what's up with that? You know, like Howard Stern, you listen to Howard Stern now and he has, uh, I mean, like his show, he maybe talks for an hour, and the rest of the five hours, it's commercials. Like it's all advertisements. I mean, it's not. It's not the ratio's not like that. But you know what I mean. It's 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 crazy. Well, I think in the case of Howard Stern, he's such a unique case uh, because there are so few radio performers in history that command that that kind of audience. I think one of the things that we've seen in his case is in order to re-sign him, they had to pay him and his staff an incredible amount of money and also invest a lot of resources in terms of the infrastructure, the technological infrastructure that allows them to not be in the studio. So I think part of the increase in spot load that you might be seeing with Howard Stern might be a result of them needing to pay him more. Also, what I think it is, is in some, in, in some respects, Sirius and XM or Sirius XM have been so successful that they're doing the same thing that Amazon has done, Netflix, Uber, and big box stores like Walmart and Home Depot. What happens when a Walmart or a Home Depot comes to a small town? 
they have they're open 24 hours. They have prices that are so low that they put all of the other local hardware stores out of business. Mm. And then all of a sudden they've become a de facto monopoly. And, oh, look, we don't have to be open 24 hours a day anymore. There's nobody else open. Where are they going to go? We can only be open 12 hours a day. And well, we might as well raise prices. It's not like someone's going to go where uh, somewhere else. Same thing with Amazon and Uber. Amazon, Uber, and other similar big, big tech companies, a lot of these uh, uh, delivery apps, they lost so much money from venture capitalists in their first few years just to build up these mammoth audiences. And now that they put everybody else out of business, they can raise prices significantly. I think mm-hmm. in some respects, that's what SiriusXM has done. They've generated such a big audience that now they can they, they can do whatever they want in terms of uh, an increased commercial spot load. Yeah, uh, I was back to Howard Stern. I used to be a big Howard Stern fan because he was, you know, original. He did original stuff. But, you know, you know, as a talk radio show host, uh, he once he got on the whole liberal train and wanted to please uh everybody you know he wanted to be in the circle as you know the hollywood circle and be friends with everybody um that's when i canceled serious because he he was never about that life he he wanted to be a leader and not a follower and now i believe that he he's a follower it's not even about politics he just interviews all these people that he used he used to make fun of these people and now he wants to be one of these people so after that you know, you know, it's funny. I hear that complaint so often. In fact, Debbie Schlossel, who used to be a regular on Howard's show, and she's a regular on my show now. I asked her recently, oh, you know, why'd you stop going on Howard? And that was almost verbatim mm-hmm. what she said. I've heard that from other people uh, who used to go on the show a lot, people like Pat Cooper and others. Um, I still like the show because, you know, I view it as and again, I don't listen as often as I like because, you know, I'm busy being on the air 20 hours uh, a, a week myself, mm-hmm. but I um, I view it just as entertainment. I don't take what Howard Stern or what any radio commentator says as too seriously. So if he um, and and also I think people are entitled to change with age. Like Howard's been on the air for more than forty years. Mm-hmm. You know, if I'm doing the same show forty years from now that I'm doing now, then I, I think maybe there's a failure of evolution on my part. But when I view Howard. I don't view him as the serious political commentator, S-E-R-I-O-U-S, not S-I-R-I-U-S. I view him as, as just somebody that's trying to fit four or five hours a day and maybe make people laugh and smile. So I, I look, I don't take what Howard says too seriously as if he's the president or a governor or a serious political thinker, because in my view, I've never viewed Howard that way. But I, I hear from so many of his former fans that view the situation exactly as you do. So I can't begrudge folks for that. There's a there's literally a whole uh, Reddit dedicated to Howard Stern. And there's just people that are just leave and just serious because because of this is the same verbatim reason. Like I just told you, like they're just sick of his, you know, want to be in the Hollywood circle. Like he doesn't do anything original anymore. It's all like the same shit every week. And he doesn't even go in the studio to interview, like get over this COVID stuff, bro. We're, we're, we're done here. Like you're living in the hands. Yeah, I, I hear all that. I, yeah. I hear all that. Like, like, come I, do on. Think, I do think that the him not coming in studio has significantly, and, and I, and not just him, but every talk show host that does this, mm-hmm. that doesn't come mm-hmm. in studio. It does take away a, a big, big element from the right. show. I mean, right. Um, yesterday, for instance, you know, I saw somebody in the kitchen of our radio station, stick their hands 
into a snack bowl and, and eat it. Now, um, I wouldn't have seen that had I was doing had I been doing the show from home. So uh, that's the kind of thing that Howard used to be able to talk about that I think mm -hmm. maybe he misses out on a little bit being home. Now, but uh, whatever, you know, the nice thing about the current media environment is there's 900,000 things that you can watch or mm -hmm. listen to. Mm -hmm. And there's a um, there's a lid for every pot. Yeah, I just don't understand how you could have the balls to ask uh, like an A-lister to come into your studio on in Midtown Manhattan while you're sitting in your basement in the Hamptons interviewing them via Zoom or whatever they use. That's just like the disrespect. You know, see, I didn't even realize they were doing that. I thought they yeah. were having, when I hear these stars, that they were having them home mostly. I didn't realize that the guests were coming in, but but he wasn't. I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. It's that's that's just what irks me. That I would just that's the only thing that really kind of bothers me about that, you know. Sure. Yeah. Um, so enough of him. Let's talk about you. You're you're got so I mean, you you did some pretty big interview um coverage back, you know, about the were you know. John Gotti Jr., you covered all four of his trials. Uh, you were also pretty friendly with the guy, right? That's true. Yeah, we became I, we weren't friendly before his trials. We became friendly over the course of, right. of the four trials. You, you yes. respectively covered it. You didn't, you know, very non-biasedly. You didn't assume anything like most of these other reporters in these media, you know, because his last name was Gotti. So I can understand why you guys became friends. Well, I, you know, I'll be honest, I um, I actually just assumed when I first, uh, you know, the first trial was in summer of 20, 2005. So 17 mm -hmm. years ago, feels like yesterday. I actually did just assume that he was guilty uh, because I figured, you know, he's a gangster. He's been in prison for these last uh, six or seven years. His father was a gangster. Mm -hmm. I, I just assumed that he was guilty. Uh, but uh, and you you referred to my coverage as unbiased, and I, I appreciate that. I don't know that I was unbiased in that I was objective. Now, mm -hmm. to me, the difference is, oh, if you're objective, you disclose your biases to mm -hmm. the public. And sure. I would read my opinion about what was happening. And sometimes, and especially towards the end of that trial, it ended up being a very pro-defense perspective. But what I saw in, uh, in the first trial and especially in the subsequent three is what a joke mm -hmm. this prosecution was. Mm -hmm. I mean, at, here was someone who in 2005 at that point had never been accused or charged with killing anyone. And yet the government, I watched them let out of prison and give a get out of jail free card to people that had a cumulative uh, body count of about 20 people, all to get someone who had a high profile name and a big name um, who had never been accused, including in that trial, of killing anyone. It just struck me as bizarre. Also, um, you know, there was some debate about when exactly John Gotti Jr. withdrew from organized crime, but nobody in the prosecutor, prosecutor's office, nobody in the FBI from 2005 on, on, uh, on ever thought that John Gotti Jr. was still an active member of the Gambino crime family. So you think to yourself, all right, Think of the millions of dollars the government is wasting. Think mm. of all the killers that they're setting out, setting free to go out on the street and commit more crimes, all to get someone that they know is not in the mob, that has just done the last uh, seven or eight years of his life in prison, uh, that took a guilty plea for previous crimes. 
to what end? I mean, it struck me as a tremendous prosecutorial overreach. And one line that always stuck with me is uh, John's lawyer in that trial, the lead defense attorney in that trial, Jeffrey Lichtman. I don't know if you've ever interviewed him. He comments a lot about uh, politics. I know our colleague Lauren Conlon has interviewed him on her podcast. But oh wow, Jeffrey said to me as we're walking out of the trial one day, um, and the government had really, so what the government had done, and again, I don't want to relitigate a 17-year-old case, but this struck me as so egregious. The government had secretly recorded John Gotti Jr. at Raybrook Prison, and they, um, without his consent, secretly recorded intimate conversations with him and his sister and uh, close family members. And then in the course of these secret conversations, which they made, there was all sorts of exculpatory evidence of John saying uh, he wants nothing to do with the mob, of John mm. saying, uh, you know, all sorts of things that proved the defense's case. And then the government tried to suppress their own recordings <laughs> at the trial because it didn't help their case. So as Jeff and I are walking out, when they, when they were doing this, Jeff said to me at the time, did you see that? They're just as dishonest as we are. And uh, that always struck with me because prior to that trial, I had kind of always thought, uh, and this is an illusion that has been shattered many times over since then. I had always thought that, um, you know, if you were indicted and if the FBI arrested you, that you were probably guilty. You're probably a bad guy. Uh, that was an eye opener for me because you see how often the government cheats. This is true. So how did you guys just become friends after that? Well, I think John, so John would listen to me. Uh, see, that first trial, he was not out on bail. So he couldn't go to the cafeteria and have lunch with us. But yeah. he, he would have nothing to do but sit in prison at the mm -hmm. MCC in Manhattan and stew and just listen to the radio. And so he would listen to the segments that I was doing with Curtis Lewitt and Ron Kuby at the time. Curtis came from a very anti-Gotti perspective. Right. Kuby came from a very pro-Gotti perspective. And I guess I was somewhere in the middle. And I think he, uh, one, appreciated my commentary. And um, in the course of that first trial, I got to have lunch um, just about every day with his uh, mother, Victoria, his sister, Angel, and, you know, some of his other siblings, Victoria and Peter. And uh, I got to be very friendly with them. And uh, at, at once John was acquitted on securities fraud in that first trial, and it was a hung jury on the other uh, charges. Uh, then John was out on bail for his second trial. And I really got to know him well in the course of the second trial, because he would come to the cafeteria. He would, uh, we would have lunch regularly. He would talk about the, uh, the segments that we would do each morning on the radio. He would say what he agreed with, what he disagreed with. And then gradually, um, you know, I became such a critic of, um, what the prosecution was doing that I think, you know, John was so grateful for any, pretense of of objectivity or any pretense of uh folks you know giving a counter view to what the tabloids were doing and what the the government was putting out at the time so let's let's fast forward you get you got married in 2019 right that's true yes still married <laughs> still married yes lovely wife i heard from lauren so Thanks. um you <laughs> you're friends with curtis sliwa you're friends with john Gotti for uh, John Gotti Jr. So for our listeners that don't know, allegedly, never proven, never, this is all allegedly, John, the, someone in the Gambino family shot Curtis Sliwa because he was talking trash about John Gotti Jr. on the radio. Allegedly, never proven, like no one went to jail for it, nothing. 
So you have these two at your wedding. How did this happen? What happened? I, I need to know. I need to know the well, story. So it's honestly, look, it, it's not nearly as dramatic a story as Curtis and others have uh, have made it out to be. But it all so John and I uh, became very friendly, um, and uh, you know, really the whole Gotti family. Uh, I would go to a lot of their family functions. So when I got married, I invited them uh, to my wedding. Uh, Curtis and I are friendly. And um, I just invited them both and they, they didn't really interact uh, with one another. John and Curtis separately had some fun with the fact that they were both there. It was largely uneventful, honestly. And you're a guy that follows politics. I think you'll appreciate this is uh, there was a lot more tension between some of the politicians that don't like each other that <laughs> found themselves sitting near one another. So uh, it was, um, you know, really, I've always tried to pride myself on um building and maintaining relationships, uh, including with both of them. And uh, I, I, I have a lot of respect for both of them. And uh, neither one of them is perfect. And I don't think either one of them would claim to be perfect. And they were both kind enough to, uh, to come. And uh, I would absolutely do, do it again. No, that's nice to them. You know, they respected your wedding and everything was good. So that's always good. No yeah, well, it's funny. Um, the year before, uh, Curtis's wife was running for attorney general. Mm -hmm. And uh, they were campaigning, I think, out on Long Island. And there was some big festival. I don't remember the name of the event. And um, Curtis was out there campaigning for his wife. And, you know, who does he run into? John Gotti Jr. And, mm -hmm. uh, and uh, John says uh, something. I'm paraphrasing here. I wasn't there. But he says something to the effect of, uh, oh, you know, what are you giving out there? And Curtis gives him campaign literature for his, uh, his wife. He says, oh, yeah, my wife's running on an animal rights platform. And he says, well, I'm an animal person. So that, my wedding was not the first time that the two of them uh, had, uh, had uh, interacted. Oh, thank God. I, I, don't, I don't think that there'll be any... Um, any future invitations from either one to the other anytime soon. But nah, I, I don't think so. I don't think so. Um, so you actually worked on Curtis's campaign when he ran for mayor, right? Uh, yeah, I was. Um, so Curtis is a, is a friend and I was more involved in the primary and sort of as a, as an informal uh, advisor. I still talk to Curtis uh, regularly. And well, um, really once the general election came about all these supposed political pros jumped in. But yes, I uh, I still would give him advice from time to time as to whether or not he would take it. That was an open question. Well, he still has a, he has a show on WABC, right? Yes. He um, had to take a break for the campaign, but he uh, he is back now. He was on before he ran and he's back now. He's wor he's working with Anthony Weiner. He does. He does 20 hours of radio on the weekend. So he he does a show with Anthony Weiner. For two hours on Saturday, he does a show with another partner two hours on Sunday. And then he does uh, 1 a.m. to 5 a.m. on Saturday, 1 a.m. to 6 a.m. on Sunday. And then he also does uh, Sunday night into Monday morning, 10 p.m. to 1 a.m. So the guy's on basically the whole weekend. The old joke was that, uh, it, you know, the, the WABC always stood for we're always broadcasting Curtis. <laughs> Can't say I'm a fan of uh, Mr. Wiener there. Yeah, well, that was very controversial. And, uh, you know, that is the one thing, not the one thing, but it is one of the many things that I give our boss, John Katsimatidis, credit for is, you know, people can dislike Wiener or or, um, or like him, but there's not another radio station in America that would give um, that would give Anthony Wiener a, a show. And if you look up and down our lineup, I don't really want to 
um, you know, bring up anybody's dirty laundry, but up and down our lineup, every single one of us has had some scandal, every single one of us, except maybe James Golden. Um, and, you know, in an era of cancel culture and uh, people so afraid to touch anybody that's um, controversial, I really give John so much credit um, that he's willing to put on all these controversial figures that could never end up anywhere else. Um, and I mean, the, look, people can Google the station's commentators right. and see the various scandals that we've all had. But I give him, he's, the guy has onions. His attitude is, look, you know, uh, I'm putting on the station whoever I want to put on. So you're saying if I want to get hired by Casamitidis, I just got to have a scandal real quick and I'll be good to go? I think uh, I think it m might not be a good first start, but it's a good first step. But it's a good third step. I gotta get handled. I gotta get hired first. Get a scandal fired. Maybe come back, and then we'll be good. Maybe I, I will. Uh, I will connect you with um, with Bill O'Reilly's. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Oh man, Bill. That's a name I haven't heard in a while. Bill O'Reilly. Oh man, is he? Does he work at WABC? Yeah, he's on uh, every night at nine p.m. and then he does a short form commentary every day at uh, at noon and then he's also a, a weekly guest on the um the cats at night show oh nice okay yeah wow a lot going on at wabc it really is it's such an exciting place to work and again i know people are going to think i'm just waving the flag and uh, maybe there's uh, some truth to that but um it's really it's so nice you know i've worked at some other radio stations where you're there you could be there from 6 a.m. to midnight and you don't see any live commentators actually come in. And they're they're just, you know, it's all um, it's all just recorded shows, syndicated mm -hmm. shows. It's so nice mm -hmm. to be able to see a radio station that's vibrant with activity. Yeah. Yeah. The radio shows, like we said in the beginning, definitely lost their, uh, you know, live stuff. I mean, like, you know, I heart all those things. It's It's like so it's so crazy how you just had there's no live radio anymore i mean i don't know about like z100 and ktu and all those other shows but um i don't know if they're still live but i remember back in the day my mom used to bump that shit when i was little ktu all the freestyle and uh, you know that's the kind of stuff that i missed when i was when i was little so but i know well, so, that well, so i and i don't mean to interrupt but just no no no, no, no it's okay yeah. is um you know i I liked music programming, but I was always a big fan of, uh, and I'm sorry, it's getting a little dark out here, no, it's but okay. I'm, it's okay. I'm not willing to go inside and extinguish this cigar. You, so <laughs> people have to deal with the diminished lighting capacity. It's fine, it's and, fine. And trust me, the darker it is, the better the better I look. But um, <laughs> my favorite thing to listen to was always talk programming. And uh, I would listen to folks like, like Curtis, like Bob Grant, like Jay Diamond, like Lionel, uh, like others. And the exciting thing, Tom like Howard Stern. The thing was, you'd turn on these live shows and you'd be afraid to miss it because you never knew what was going to happen. It was right. always an adventure. Now, um, with the exception of our station, that's not the case. Everything's so stale, homogenized. You have political hosts re repeating the same 11 talking points that everybody else is is um, is doing. There's nothing dangerous. There's nothing alive. There's nothing exciting. Mm -hmm. That's why I love what our station is doing is we're bringing that back a little bit. That's why I don't understand how people listen to 1010 wins all day. It's all the same shit over and over. Uh, neither do I. It's basically yeah. reading a script uh, yeah, for yeah. 20, 20 hours a day. I mean, <laughs> I get it. Maybe you want to uh, 
you know, hear the traffic on the way into work, hear if it's going to rain that day, hear the top headlines. But beyond that, uh, I, I, I'm with you. Yeah. Well, listen, Frank, you gave me a lot of time. I appreciate it. Um, where can we find you on Instagram? Where, where can we find you got an Instagram? What, what do we do? Sure, yeah, I'm on uh, Instagram at Morano Vision. That's M-O-R. A-N-O Vision. Um, I'm on Twitter at Frank Morano. And if anyone wants to hear the show, they can just search the podcast, The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano and subscribe. And they don't have to stay up from 1 to 5 a.m. They can get it whenever they want to get it. I subscribe. Love it. Oh, thanks. Well, I appreciate yeah, it. I'm a, I'm a fan of yours, and uh, I hope you'll have me back. I appreciate you indulging me while I uh, snuck out for 40 minutes to have a cigar. You're welcome back anytime, Frank. Thank you. Thank you, Mike.